CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of Philosophy for Our Times was recorded live at the Institute of Art and Ideas annual festival, How the Light Gets In. Early bird tickets have just gone on sale for How the Light Gets In 2018. Join us next May to debate the most cutting-edge ideas of our time with the world's leading thinkers. For more information and tickets, see the festival website at howthelightgetsin.iai.tv. That's howthelightgetsin.iai.tv. Most animals seem to fit into one strict relationship category. They either have multiple partners or they mate for life. Humans seem to be different. Is it culture or is it biology? Or is it culture getting in the way of biology? Who better to discuss this than an anthropologist? Today's podcast is What Makes Humans Monogamous? Presented by Professor of Anthropology at UCL, Kit Opie. Thanks very much. So I guess if we're going to try and answer this question, why are humans monogamous, we should start by asking whether we are. So what we can say is that here and across the Western world, monogamy is the general pattern for child rearing. But in fact, the majority of societies worldwide allow and encourage polygyny. Polygyny is the arrangements where uh, wealthy men can afford to have more than one wife, up to uh, in some cases, uh, but generally uh, sort of four or five. In those societies, however, men of average wealth are likely to have uh, only one wife, and young men have to wait a very long time to get married at all. So what is it that makes Europe and those countries where European languages are spoken so different from the rest of the world? Well, if we want to answer this question, a very good way of going back in time is to use a language family tree. And this tree is constructed using the similarities between languages. And colleagues of mine have constructed this tree, and using it, they've been able to travel back in 9,000 years to the origins of this language family, the Indo-Europeans. And what they've discovered is that the language originated in Anatolia modern-day southern Turkey. And these people, 9,000 years ago, were early farmers. And so I've used this language tree also to look at marriage practices. And what we find is that, in fact, they were polygynous. And then these uh, early Indo-Europeans spread out of uh, southern Turkey 
uh, west across into Europe and east across in as far as India and Afghanistan. And they took with them their languages, their farming techniques, and also their marriage. And it wasn't until very much later, first of all, the ancient Greeks, but particularly the Romans, where rich men who had been the ones polygynous, numbers of wives, suddenly perceived some kind of problem. They were finding that by passing on their wealth to so many children, their estate was up. And so they decided they wanted to change the arrangements, keep their estates from being split up, and therefore they became monogamous. But that didn't stop them having concubines. And concubines, or we might call them mistresses, had status. They had rights. In fact, they had pretty much all of the rights of a wife, apart from one, which was that their children were to inherit from their father. And this new arrangement then spread across the Roman Empire. In fact, it only really came to an end about a thousand years ago when we find evidence of trials about polygyny taking place and we find that the status of concubines being withdrawn and their rights uh, taken from them. Now, many suggest and think that the Christian church had a big role in monogamous marriage. But the very earliest church was against marriage in any form, anybody to get married at all. And as they started to convert, particularly uh, in Europe, they just took on whatever practices happened to be there at the time, probably this quote-unquote monogamy uh, setup. In fact, they were reluctantly, the church was reluctantly involved in marriage in, in England in 17 when they agreed to take over marrying people, but on one condition. That was the ending of arranged marriages by families. So rather than the family control uh, and arranging the marriages, the church would take over the whole shebang. So, since the origins of agriculture 10,000 years ago, wealthy men exercised their ability to have a number of wives, except in the condition where that interferes with their inheritance. But of course, 95% of our time on this planet as a species as hunter-gatherers. And hunter-gatherers own no wealth, they don't have land, they don't domesticate animals, inequality of wealth amongst them. And if contemporary hunter-gatherers are anything to go by, then they are monogamous. And they were monogamous. It's a different kind of monogamous to the one that we're used to. It's a much looser kind of arrangement. And it's not necessarily lifelong, but monogamous it is. But that then just raises the question, okay, if humans, when we first evolved 200,000 years ago, 
were monogamous, where did that come from in the first place? Well, we need to look broader then across the animal kingdom. And if we look at birds are very commonly monogamous. And we know why that is. It's because of their reproductive system. So female birds lay their eggs conception. And this allows both pair members to get involved in the hatching and the incubating and then the feeding of the subsequent chicks. But amongst mammals, the situation is very different. So only very few mammal species are monogamous, and that's because of internal gestation, or what we'd call pregnancy, and lactation, or what we call breastfeeding. So it's a, a bit of a puzzle then that one group of mammals, the primates, monogamy is far more common than across uh, mammals. And if we want to discover why, we again have to dive back deep into our evolutionary history. This time, we can do it with a family tree of all mates, including humans, but based on the genetics. And so we can travel back in time to the origin of primates as, a, as an order five million years ago. That's 10 million years before the extinction of the non-avian dinosaurs. And we can reconstruct what that primate would have looked like. All, uh, like a common tree shrew or squirrel, probably nocturnal, but importantly, we can reconstruct the mating system of that earliest primate that using very similar methods to the methods used by Google. So Google take your search terms and come up with um, a list of links that they think um, will be you, and they use machine learning to do that. We use machine learning too, but instead of predicting the future as Google does, we reconstruct the past. And we can reconstruct the past 25 million years ago, primates were mating promiscuously. So just like this modern-day bush baby, the, all the males would be mating with all the females in a And this system continued across primates until very recently, in evolutionary terms, about 25 million years ago. Suddenly we find that to monogamy. Now, this is, um, has been a puzzle for a great length of time. Researchers have tried to work out why this could possibly be the case and why so many primates are monogamous, whereas other mammals aren't. And the suggestion that many people put forward, and everybody likes it, um, is that primates are really a bit like birds. So the males get involved in looking after their infants. In fact, this pygmy marmoset, one of the smallest primates, the male does all the fetching, all the carrying, all the grooming, all the looking after, the females to concentrate solely on lactation. And the female responds by often having twins, as here, 
and by breeding very often. And these Google-like uh, machine learning techniques. And what we found was, indeed, there was a correlation between this kind of paternal care and monogamy, but monogamy and then paternal care came in. So it couldn't have been the reason for monogamy to evolve in the first place. Other people have suggested that actually it's not to do with paternal care, it's more to do with females. So this gibbon female in Southeast Asia, she doesn't have very many predators, uh, she's quite large, she moves very fast in the tree canopy, and she can spread out uh, other females to look for food. And males would like to monopolize more than one female at a time, but they can't. The females are too spread out in the environment, and therefore males are doing the least worst option. At least I'll get some mating opportunities if I stick with this uh, individual female. Well, we ran the uh, machine learning techniques, and again, it's not the reason why monogamy evolved. Monogamy evolved first, and then the females spread out in the environment. So, this leaves us with one last explanation for monogamy. It's the one that no one likes, and that's because it's downright nasty. And that is that monogamy evolved to protect infants from infanticide. Now, to explain how that might be the case, we need to look generally across mammals. The typical mammal way of living is that females have gestation longer than lactation length. So that's their pregnancy is longer than the breastfeeding. And what that means for most mammals is that the females can mate immediately after giving birth. The second infant is not born until the first one's already weaned. So it's, it works fine, and you can see that in mice and uh, other, other sorts of mammals. And in the original uh, ancestral primates, that also would have been the case. But amongst large-brained primates, that's no longer possible. The female has to breastfeed the infant for very much longer for them to grow those very large brains. So she has to delay her return to fertility. And it's that delay that then allows a male who's not the father of the infant to come in, kill them, and then have a chance to mate with the female who has much more speedily returned to fertility. So what that means is that any large-brained primate, such as this Lango, if a female has an unweaned infant and sees a strange male on the horizon, she's on full alert. But unfortunately, it really doesn't help very much, and the infant is killed. Occasionally, there's the one that got away, but a very much better way of dealing with this infanticide threat is to have two parents, monogamous, and both of them are looking after you. And so this is the reason why primates became monogamous. They have very large brains, lots of them. They have those large brains 
and they need those brains to decode the relationships that are taking place across their group. But a side effect of that is that they have infanticide and therefore it evolves. So the original primates were promiscuous, they were small-brained, so first of all we get a shift to social groups, then brains have to be larger in order to relationships within that social group, and then lactation length increases. That then brings about the threat of infanticide, and monogamy is one of the best ways of dealing with that threat. Once monogamy has evolved, though, then the males can get involved in uh, infant care, and some of them do, and the pair can spread out in the environment and therefore stay away from uh, potentially infanticidal males. Okay, so that then brings us to the great apes, humans and uh, our closest relatives. We have the largest of all primates, we therefore have very long weaning periods. So orangutans don't wean their infants until they're seven years old. This means huge infanticide risk. And it is the biggest killer of infants. So a third of infants die from infanticide uh, across the gorilla species. So what we can suggest is that humans during our evolution, after the split with chimpanzees and bonobos, our closest relatives, we could then, um, at some point following that, we then uh, monogamy. Once we'd done that, it was then possible for uh, males to get involved in infant care, some more than others perhaps, you, would, you might think, but at least then that it was possible for humans to grow very much larger brains um, than the other great apes. So that now humans have brains that are four times the size of chimpanzees, our closest relatives. Now, my favoured timing for that shift to monogamy was with the origin of our genus, that is Homo, which was about two million years ago. We got smaller, and our brains got very much larger at that point. So my research suggests that it would have been very difficult for females to provision their infants on their own, and they needed help. They needed help from their mothers, i.e. the infant's grandmother, but also they needed the help of a male, and that, that was when uh, monogamy evolved. Colleagues of mine disagree with that, and they suggest that actually it the um, evolution of us as a species, Homo sapiens, and that was about 200,000 years ago. Either way, very recent in um, evolutionary terms. In conclusion, humans are monogamous, except in those circumstances where the inequality of wealth uh, starts to interfere and uh, some men use that wealth to, um, to distort or change the, the pattern. And the reason for it is that large-brained primates are very prone to but monogamy is a very good way of dealing with that problem.
Now, I'm the first to admit that monogamy isn't easy, and probably uh, we don't. But if you think about it, we've been able to practice for maybe 100,000, perhaps as few as 10,000 generations. And given that, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So, do you think that humans really are monogamous? Let us know by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag monogamy. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.